Thursday, the 20th of August. I'm Randy Couray. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Glad to present a new episode after a bit of a hiatus. Uh, and to top it all off, it's a roundtable uh, for this day. Hope you're doing well, and of course, and I hope you're keeping safe. On the show today, 2020 was supposed to be the year of both the Tokyo Olympics and the European Championships. What could organizers be faced with with no vaccine to the coronavirus? All eyes regarding the beautiful game in Canada is in Charlottetown as the Canadian Premier League restarts with a modified second season. And also the Canadian Football League has decided not to pursue a 2020 campaign. It's the first time the Grey Cup will not be awarded in over 100 years. That and a lot more. So I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, First is a familiar voice and name to the program. Had a great chat with him back in December talking about all things regarding soccer in this country. Today we'll get his thoughts on the beautiful game as well as a number of other sports. Mike Leach is back in the house. Mike, thanks so much once again. Uh, Thanks for having me, Randy. Also, we have a second broadcasting veteran, not only within the Toronto market, but nationally as well. He is close to 20 years experience, both in general news and in sports. From the Canadian press, Neil Kumar joins us. Neil, it's an absolute pleasure. How are you? I'm doing very well, Randy, and it is a pleasure to be back speaking with you and on your podcast for the first time. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Be sure to give us a comment on... uh, our opinions, or if you disagree with us on Twitter, on Facebook, at What's Up Podcast. So, uh, guys, if I was given a list of what took place uh, during the 2020 season, or uh, calendar year, excuse me, I would have considered a 42-year-old arena employee forced to play goal against the Toronto Maple Leafs as potentially the top story of the year. I would have considered the Toronto Raptors winning 15 straight games, uh, becoming uh, an all-time record for uh, sports teams in Canada. Uh, Definitely the passing of Kobe Bryant, uh, and of course, most recently of uh, Dale Howardchuk. Of course, the top story uh, in a general sense is the COVID-19 pandemic and how the entire world came to a halt, uh, the sports world included. Before we get into uh, all things sports, I'd love to get an idea of how work was for the two of you, especially in the beginning. Uh, You know, a lot of us have the ability to work from home, but with the two of yourselves, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty. And uh, Mike, it seemed that there were so many questions in the air, but things were a lot busier with such a heavy news load. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, on a sporting front, obviously, for me, that, you know, there, there really hasn't been up until recently a whole lot in terms of sports, uh, at least on the field. Uh, in terms of, you know, news and, I mean, it, it's, it's it was all the time. It was 
you know, I remember probably into, you know, well into May, entire half-hour newscasts would be dedicated almost solely to the COVID-19 outbreak, you know, certainly here, um, you know, in Ontario and across the country, but also globally what, you know, what was going on, certainly, you know, first in Europe, now it's sort of spread uh, like wildfire throughout the United States, um, you know, and, and in terms of, of workflow in, in, in news, uh, we're having to find new ways of doing things. We have a lot of reporters who are no longer working in the newsroom. We have reporters who, in the before times, would have happily gone to the scene of, you know, a, a protest, demonstration, rally, all, all of those things, which, you know, we haven't even touched on that yet. But Oh, we will. Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> but, but, you know, people, we have reporters who, you know, for their health sake are saying, you know, I, I don't think I want to go to that scene, you know, or I don't think I want to go to, you know, a, a you know, crash. I don't want to be out in the field because I fear for my safety. And that that's something before 2020 just never was, never was even really thought about all that much. Sure. And, you know, to give a, the listener an idea of what a newsroom felt like to me, you know, which I'm assuming is uh, somewhat the same, like when a breaking news story uh, hits and where you become aware of it, it creates a lot of excitement. Uh, and as a radio broadcaster, our goal was to uh, get the story out first, to pump as much information as we possibly can. And then we get tired of it. It's kind of like of a song that uh, rockets up to the charts and then it uh, sees its max, its peak. Uh, this has been going on for five months now. And Neil, uh, I have to ask you, like, how difficult has it been to keep talking about COVID? I wouldn't say it was that difficult, actually, because there's always something happening with it every day in terms of the numbers that we're getting with people being affected, those who are recovering, just how it's impacted the economy, all the way into those who are on the front line. So, I mean, it's, I guess you could say it's hard in just being able to cover all those different angles in terms of what just develops with it every day. So, obviously, our world's changed. You know, now we're starting to see that people are actually getting into this COVID mindset. People are wearing masks pretty much everywhere you go. I'm starting to see commercials now, too, with people actually wearing masks. It's almost like that's embedded into the way of life now or our culture. And I think that if you want to say it's difficult in any way, it's just probably covering almost every detailed thing that COVID-19 has impacted for us in our lives, you know, from our jobs to our families to schools to sports and just even doing your groceries. Like I did my groceries earlier today, and it's become a two-and-a-half-hour job from what used to be one hour, because when you go out, you have to be socially distant. It takes, you know, getting into a line, getting to the grocery store, and then keeping distance, and then I usually come back home and wipe down all the groceries sure. and then put them back. So it's, you know, life's changed, and so that's the difficult part of it with COVID-19. Well, uh, from a person uh, myself who is not in uh, the information-gathering uh, industry like uh, you guys are in now, uh really do have to continue to tip my hat to you guys for not only being in this uh, crazy uh, world of uh, journalism that uh, I once was in, but uh, for the hard work that you guys provide, uh, providing uh, factual information and uh, everything in terms of uh, educating us 
not only COVID, but everything else. We definitely thank you so much for, uh, for your continued hard work. And, uh, so to that fellas, uh, why don't we talk a little sports and now we are getting back to some level of, uh, competition but who could have thought that it had taken uh the way that it has i mean the nhl uh has begun their playoffs uh in hubs in toronto with edmonton both the mls and nba had a hub uh format in orlando florida Uh, this as the pandemic continues to see record numbers regarding new cases and everything else uh neil uh, to you first uh with NBA and MLS holding hubs in Florida, which of course is known as a COVID hotspot ever since essentially the beginning. Should sports in North America have resumed the way that it did? Yes and no. I think so from the NBA and the NHL standpoint. I think that those two leagues have had great success with the bubble, obviously, and the, you know, with the MLS, of course, they're doing okay as well. I'm not actually sure if they've had any infections in the MLS. You guys might have to update me there. But I do know in Major League Baseball they're having them daily. So you might say no for Major League Baseball considering how many times they've had infections with several teams and the teams have had to take, you know, like five, six, seven games off. Some of them are missing weeks. The St. Louis Cardinals have played, I think, the least amount of games. And I know that the Marlins are also affected by it, but also it kind of played into their favor. They've actually been successful playing a shorter amount of schedule but so I would say that it's a yes for those in the NBA considering they haven't had any negative tests the same for the NHL the bubble cities are doing very well and very successful and even Adam Silver the commissioner of the NBA said that the success is even greater than they would have imagined at this point so they're happy keeping their fingers crossed and I think with baseball I know they're considering a bubble format for their playoffs I heard a little bit about that I haven't heard too much since so probably yes and no and again yes for the NBA NHL uh, MLS, as far as I know, and then probably no, in most people's opinions, for Major League Baseball, just considering all the infections that are happening daily. Uh, and Mike, uh, uh, in terms of soccer and, uh, you know, across the pond in Europe, uh, it was one of the sports uh, first sports leagues to return. They uh, Europe, of course, uh, in the beginning uh, months of uh, this pandemic, uh, really hit uh, Europe hard first, and then saw it come west to uh, North America. It was, uh, I believe it was in June when uh, UEFA opened up their uh, various domestic leagues. And from my vantage point, it seems that it has run uh, quite well. Uh, Is that how you took it uh, also? And uh, how important was it for uh, Bundesliga, Premier League, etc. to run as flawlessly as it seems to have? Bundesliga came back in mid-May, um, and it went off without a hitch. They, and, and, I mean, in England, like there were some European leagues, France being one of them, that decided to end their seasons and did not um, see out the rest of the season. The Bundesliga and the English Premier League, the, the two sort of big ones, uh, also Italian Serie A, mm-hmm. They came back as well. They didn't do bubbles. They played in home stadiums. But one thing that works to their favor in Europe is geography. All of the cities where the teams are located are relatively close together. They're, well, within a half-day's drive. So 
that wasn't too big of a deal. MLS, the MLS is back thing really got off to a bad start because teams were showing up to the bubble with infections. And they had two teams, FC Dallas and Nashville SC, have to pull out of the tournament because they had outbreaks that were in the process of happening when they arrived in Orlando. And this was so bad to the point that there was some serious thought that Toronto FC wasn't going to go down. They delayed their travel as long as they could. Of course, they had some travel issues of their own in terms of some just late-arriving tests, and and then they had the the postponements of their first game against FC Dallas because of some inconclusive tests that later proved to be negative. Once they got through that initial stage, the fact that they were in Florida really didn't matter because they were insulated in their own sort of ecosystem, and you're seeing it now with the NBA. They were basically, in fact, if you, if you watch an NBA game, when they show a high overhead shot from a helicopter, you'll see the field that the MLS uh, is back tournament was played on. So those, those two leagues, uh, certainly MLS had its hiccups getting into the bubble, but once they got there, it was fine. The NBA, outside of the Lou Williams thing, um, it's been pretty solid. The NHL, I know they had a few things prior to getting in the bubble, but, uh, I mean, it's 2020. Like, things will work out the way they're going to work out. And so far, so good for the NBA and the NHL. MLS got its tournament in. Baseball, who knows, because... Neil mentioned the, the St. Louis Cardinals. I think as of this weekend, they had played five games, whereas some other teams were closing in on 20 games. Right. St. Louis is looking at like three or four doubleheaders in the next two weeks. The Blue Jays have a doubleheader in Buffalo tomorrow because of the games they missed because of the Marlins. And then they travel down to Tampa. Like the, the baseball thing wasn't very well thought out, and I have grave fears about what's going to happen with the NFL because – I believe the NFL thinks it can just outspend anything. Um, they've had players opt out. Uh, there's no physical distancing in that sport. Sort of goes against the premise of it. Sure. Um, and they're going to be traveling. You know, it feels like business as usual. In fact, I think there will be some teams that might even put fans in the stands, which I think is a, is a, a completely irresponsible idea. But you know, everybody's kind of making it up on the fly because never really done anything like this before and uh, i i guess uh, if we were to bring it back to baseball for a moment uh you know i, I for one thought that it was a no-brainer uh to have uh all teams to play in florida and arizona now it wouldn't necessarily be a hub but it would be uh they have their own uh facilities uh as per uh, spring training with uh, uh grapefruit league and uh, cactus league and uh, as uh, both you guys have been saying, that it's uh, there's just been a slew of problems uh, with baseball, especially since they don't have a hub. Um, Mike, you did uh... how 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 like the, the the problem with baseball and the hub idea? Well, number one, 
Florida and Arizona both would have been terrible ideas without a bubble because you, unless you close off players' access to the outside world and conversely the outside world in, there's always threat of infection from the community. And those two states are kind of leading the league. I think Arizona's gotten it more under control, but Florida's, I think they just crossed over 10,000 deaths from the virus. And, you know, their, their outbreaks didn't really happen until June. And with baseball, like one thing with, with the NBA and the NHL is that they were able to sort of fast forward to the playoffs and not have the entire league there. And those two sports, as well as soccer, they're not sports where you're playing every day. Like the Raptors played Monday, they play again Wednesday, they play again Friday, like that's sort of a normal schedule for them. The same thing with hockey. So you're able to have games in two or three arenas or, or stadiums, whereas with baseball, you've got like 13, 14, 15 games on a day. How are you going to put all of those games on TV? The idea of playing in a bubble almost unrealistic well uh yeah sure now uh having said that and i'm sort of thinking off the top of my head here because they are playing a 50 game season in baseball let's say that you were able to uh spread it out from i guess uh whenever when they started uh which would have been uh middle of july end of july give or take to uh say because it's florida towards December and I'm throwing it out there just because uh, for the sake of this argument still have a 50 game schedule but you're not playing every single day obviously and as we all know this is uh, different times Uh, Neil I don't really know if uh, you've uh, thought of any sort of ideas or have come up with anything off the top of your head but and Mike is definitely correct in the sense that basketball and soccer and hockey they are in a hub format this is a a closed off uh, just within their own leagues and uh, nobody else uh, I mean now family members are coming uh, to uh, the NBA hub at least but have you thought about uh, how baseball could have maybe done this uh, a little bit better because it just seems even from the whole get-go of uh, what kind of season uh, they were uh, trying to draw up it has just been riddled with problems. Well, absolutely. And just quickly, a quick correction there. You mentioned the 50-game season, but and that's fine because it actually is a 60-game season, but in a sense you're right because a lot of these teams in Major League Baseball won't even get in a 60-game season because of all the infections that are happening daily. So I totally agree with Mike when he says they could have thought it out a lot better in baseball. And I agree also. I feel like, you know, Rob Manford was just basically saying when this COVID-19 was getting to its climax that, hey, we're going to have baseball. Baseball is going to happen. And I think it was forced from his perspective. Maybe they rushed into it, maybe didn't think out some things, because, like, right off the top, we had the Marlins with all the infections, and it was like they missed, I think, a whole week and maybe a couple more the next week. I know St. Louis did as well. So we've seen a lot of these teams have to sit out, and what happens when these players get infected, they go to their rooms five days, and then I think they take two tests have to be negative. They have to have two negative tests before they're able to go back. So I totally agree with Mike when he said that that could have been better thought out. I don't think that we were able to see some of these things. And maybe it's learning. 
thing by doing and flying by the seat of your pants, but not the safest method. When it comes to, I just want to quickly say, the NFL, as Mike was talking about, this is where it's up to the NFL to kind of look at what's going on with Major League Baseball, what's going on with the NHL and NBA, and take from them what's successful and what's not. Now, obviously, they're not going to be able to do it in the bubble, but, and like Mike said too, that, you know, it's a game where it's contact. There's no social distancing. So that'll be all interesting to see, and they're going to go ahead with it. But if anything, they should be able, in this time frame, be able to look at everything that's happening with these other pro leagues that have continued on and take the pros and cons for them and try to build around that. It's kind of like, you know, you got to learn by doing. But if you have an example, follow that. So I think that it's, yeah, it definitely for baseball is kind of all over the place, but we're seeing the NBA and the NHL working orderly, and so far so good. So, you know, it's... Uh, there's success in some of this, and then there's some of this that we look at that they're making mistakes and errors, and that's where we just have to learn from it and then move on and improve on top of that. Well, I mean, here's something off the top of my head, and I just, uh, from my brief experience, I have been to Florida a couple of times and had an idea of where a couple of ballparks are because uh, Legends Field in Tampa, which is home of the uh, New York Yankees uh, uh, affiliate, is right across the street from Raymond James Stadium where the Buccaneers play. And having said that, the uh, uh, Orlando Disney uh, complex is about, give or take, an hour and 15 minutes away. I believe the uh, Bradenton Pirates uh, um, facility is within that same area. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking maybe keep uh, baseball players in a hub as well in Florida as per the schedule, have six stadiums for the schedule. Baseball uh, and uh, all players go to and from the stadium. They commune within the hub. And this is obviously, uh, I'm not getting the whole picture because you have uh, another league uh, to consider as well. And I don't know what it's like in uh, Phoenix and in uh, Arizona. But, I mean, that could have been something as well. I personally don't see Major League Baseball continuing and uh, completing their year now to mike's point mls had a whole uh, slew of problems and they were able to uh, to fix it right away are you guys are you guys thinking that uh, baseball has a lot more to do uh, I can actually... I... go ahead okay i'll just quickly add in here i can actually tell you that i did feel some of the pain from major league baseball myself personally I live right across from the Dome. So just before the Jays were about to start their season and they were training over there and they were without a actual home field because they found out later on that they weren't going to be able to play their games up here. So I was actually thinking just before the decision came down that do I really want other teams coming in and out of here from the States considering how bad the infections have been? You know, we're mentioning Florida, but pretty much right across the United States. So I think that, yeah, I... You know, Randy says he doesn't think that the season will be able to conclude. I think they're just forcing it right through, and that's what we're seeing so far. So I think that there's a lot to be learned. Obviously, we all know that about this virus. We don't know, you know, a lot about it still. So I think that it's if you're going to go on with this, you have to be able to adapt and be able to do whatever it is that you see as successful and follow that to be able to stay safe and keep everybody from getting infected by COVID-19. Oh, that, you're absolutely 100% correct. I mean, I think they will plow ahead. There will be a World Series. There will be a World Series champion because there's too much money at stake. You know, and for, for all 
stakeholders for for the players, for the owners, the the networks, everybody. They, they will find a way to make this happen, but it's not going to. Like you said, I don't think everybody's going to end up playing the full sixty games. They're going to make it up on the fly. They'll do what they have to do to get it in. And as you say, it's the it's the team, the players, the groups that are most adaptable to the ever-changing situations that will be, and also the smartest, the ones that do their level best to try and mitigate any potential infection within their clubhouses. Those are the teams that will be successful. The ones that are cavalier and irresponsible will end up having problems, and those that just can't deal with the the ever-changing situations, uh, you know, they, they will... They'll fall by the wayside. So, I mean, it's up in the air. Anybody can win this year because, and like we saw, the MLS is back tournament. Portland Timbers aren't the best team in MLS. Philly's pretty good, but I don't think they're the best team in the East. Sure. I, it's just those teams were able to adapt and, and cope with those situations the best That's they a could. That's a great point. That's and, absolutely and as, a great point. As to the Florida idea, it's not a bad idea in theory. The one problem, you know, yes, you have the ballparks there. Are any of them major league ready? And by major league ready, you look at what they had to do to Salem Field in Buffalo to get that up to major major league standard. And and it is a, it's a decent ballpark. I don't know if either of you have been there. I have. It, it's a I love it's it. a pretty it's a pretty nice little minor league ballpark. Yeah. But it was not. It was not suitable for a major league team. There were issues with the field. There were major, major issues with the lighting. So, you know, I'm not sure that that would have, I mean, in this year of COVID, I'm sure we could have made anything work. But, I mean, without without ticket-buying public right now, you have to do, if you're, if you're a major professional sports league, you have to do everything in your power to appease your your television partners and your sponsors, and in order to do that, they have to have, frankly, the lighting's got to be right. There's, there's, there are a lot of things that have to go into those those stadiums to make them suitable for a, a you know palatable t- television product. Well, but I, I mean, and it's funny you say because it just seems like it'd have been that much easier if this was back in say the 1980s. I mean, lighting was what it was in various uh, arenas and stadiums. Uh, we didn't have all this red tape that came with uh, advertising and so on. I know we can't really turn back time because, believe me, uh, and I'm sure everybody wants to go back to uh, how things were back in October, let alone in February. But we saw all the uh, uh, improvements that uh, were done to Salem Field, I mean, especially with uh, uh, the, um, the the tunnels and the uh, the locker rooms and so on. I'm just thinking more and more that especially now apparently with the playoffs for Major League Baseball that they are thinking about uh, some sort of hub format. Of course, less and less teams are going to be uh, taking part. But it really is interesting to see uh, what could potentially uh, take place not only for uh, the baseball uh, for the rest of the baseball season. But uh, if the NFL doesn't uh, do an audible, pardon the pun, but uh, if they were able to uh, get some sort of uh, 
uh, format in terms of whether it's a hub, whether uh, teams congregate in uh, one field, uh, like, you know, if they share uh, the field with uh, uh, two, three different teams, whatever the case is, it just doesn't seem like uh, anything other than a hub is uh, uh, the best idea. So with that said, guys, uh, you know, I threw this question out there for you. I don't know if you uh, had to think about it, but in terms of the uh, champion for uh, the eventual leagues, really love to uh, get an idea of what you think of uh, as basketball is uh, starting their playoffs. And of course, uh, the NHL is well into it. What do you guys think of the champion, the eventual champion that will uh, be crowned? We've seen it in strikes uh, and lockouts where, say, the New Jersey Devils won the uh, Stanley Cup in the mid-90s, but there's an asterisk uh, to it. And we know all the other examples. How do you think 2020 is going to pan out in terms of the winner of uh, each respective league? I think that's a great question because Mike was alluding to that in his last statement. And this is the thing about COVID-19. It's changed the nature of everything. Not only are we seeing that we have to have our Blue Jays play down at Buffalo and, you know, the hubs with the NHL and the NBA, all these changes. The other thing that Mike mentioned quickly was that anyone could probably have success this year, any of these teams, considering that Major League Baseball has now changed their playoff format. They've added eight teams from both sides, so eight teams from the American League and eight teams from the National League. And, you know, so they're going to do that. They're trying out some things. They're trying to use this as an opportunity experiment. And we also know that when it comes to extra innings, they're doing the runner on second base to start, mm-hmm. and that's kind of an advantage for the visitors. And we also know the double hunters are down to seven innings apiece. And uh, also, the teams are they're laying down the law with a lot of these players. We saw with the Cleveland Indians that Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesek they went out partying. I think it was not last week and the weekend before because Zach Kleefek had a great start and they felt like going out and celebrating. And the Cleveland Indians found out about that when they were about to board the plane. Zach Kleefek had already been known to you know, been out and they wanted to send him in a car back to Cleveland, I think it was. And then at that point, Mike Clevenger had kind of came forward and said, you know, I was with him. And so these guys have been disciplined by their team. They've been... I don't think they've been suspended, but they've been optioned back to the team. That's right. So they've been suspended, but now they're at this point they've been sent for a reinstatement. So they're trying to work them back in, but the penalty is going to be a lengthy one. So we're seeing that, and I think also quickly, and I'll throw it over to Mike after this quick point, but we saw last night, and I love this. This is something that's going to be great to watch. The Portland Trailblazers played the Los Angeles Lakers, and this is probably one of the, you know, biggest points of this whole entire COVID-19 change in the nature of everything. And, you know, Portland Trailblazers now up one nothing. They beat the Lakers. And a lot of people feel that because these teams don't have their home crowds. Like, for instance, the Lakers would have had game one of that series in L.A. They would have had their home crowd behind them. So we're also finding out how important the fans are in this entire, you know, COVID-19 sports return. So it's interesting. And I'll throw it back to Mike now. Interesting that you mentioned the fans because I was um... – at BMO Field for Toronto FC's first game since the MLS is back. Thing and it was against the Vancouver Whitecaps, and of course, you know they're they're playing the six games against all you know against the other Canadian teams. There were probably about thirty-ish fans who were I don't know if they actually saw any of the game, 
because the fences around BMO Field, because BMO Field is part of the NHL hub, the fences are all sort of blacked out. They've got a black tarp around them. So you can't, they got up on an elevated part by the food building, the entrance to the food building. On the north side. And they were waving flags and they were chanting throughout the entire game. And they were quite loud. From the press box, they were very audible throughout the entire game. Greg Vanny and Michael Bradley and Pablo Piatti, all three of them in their media availabilities after the game, mentioned how much of a lift having the fans there, even though there were only about 30 of them, just knowing that they were there and showed that sort of level of dedication to the club gave that team a bit of a, it gave them a bit of a jump. I know the NBA has tried to, with the, the virtual fans, they've tried to make it as much of a home crowd as they possibly can and a home sort of atmosphere. But you're, there, there's, there's no, for a team like Portland, going into Staples Center to play the Lakers and looking up at the banners up in the rafters of Staples Center or some of the other places, Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a, one of the more rowdy buildings in the NBA. To not have that sort of intimidation factor. There were teams back in the 70s that would go into the Montreal Forum and they knew they had lost before the, the game even started. And that, that sort of psychological advantage with these hub situations is gone. And it's going to be interesting to see how some of these teams react to that sort of situation. I fully expect that the Lakers will bounce back. Milwaukee, I, I think, will as well. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these teams that normally have that home court, home field advantage because of the atmosphere, because of the mystique of their stadiums and their, their home floor, some of that might be gone now, and it, it could change the way some of, these, uh, some of the results play out. As to the uh, asterisk question, whoever wins this year deserves it because getting through these situations with the infections and, and all of that and the weird circumstances, to, to, to be able to win... You're a champion in my mind. Yeah, you know, I want to get back to the asterisk part in a second because uh, you guys bring up uh, uh, something interesting. And I don't know if I'm 100% on board in the sense of uh, you know, going to Staples Center and being intimidated by the crowd if you're the Portland Trailblazers. If you're the Orlando Magic and uh, not going to Pfizer form for uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Bucks seem to have a really rowdy crowd. Do the Lakers have yeah. that kind of rowdy a crowd? I mean, uh, uh, everybody knows about Scotiabank Arena and uh, Raptors fans get praised for uh, how uh, loud, uh, well, once the ACC, now Scotiabank is uh, when uh, the Raptors are playing, BMO Field, and of course, uh, Mike knows firsthand uh, how uh, raucous a crowd uh, BMO is for Toronto FC. But it was only last year where uh, an unproven Orlando Magic squad defeated the NBA champion Raptors in game one. Uh, do you guys think that it was more so the crowd that played uh, so much a factor? Because I don't know. I, I think it was just whether you want to call it just uh, the game one game one luck or uh, just the ball went uh, the right way for Portland and Orlando, that I, I don't know if the crowd is uh, 
played into especially game one. And of course, if uh, a favorite were to lose, I'm thinking more so that it is because of the encore product and not so much because of the crowd. Well, I think Mike, you know, this is a yes and no again. What Mike was saying, I think that, you know, for some arenas, some teams definitely need their home crowds. Definitely Milwaukee could have used their home crowd in game one, and I think the Lakers as well. And, you know, you talk about how Montreal had that going on with their arena back in the day, and teams come in there, they already know that they're shot in the foot already. And I think that does play in, you know, for some teams, and then maybe not some others. But then again, you know, it's, anything can happen in this COVID-19, you know, playback or whatever you want to call it, return of sports, because it's just so wide open. And so when we see this happening with every day, we're seeing, you know, infectious things play. Thank God, cross your fingers for the NBA and the NHL. NBA is doing very well, NHL as well. They can, you know, keep going like this. Major League Baseball, they're going to keep pushing straight through. So I think that, you know, when you talk about the home field, let's look at the Toronto Blue Jays, for instance. I thought for them, it would be an advantage because I think they have the youngest team in the majors or one of them. And a lot of these guys were playing in Buffalo before they got to Toronto. So I thought for them, you know, they've made all these field improvements. They, you know, added new lighting. They improved the dugouts and the clubhouse. And they made it more of a home field. And they, you know, put the Blue Jays imprint on that field. And I thought that that might be an advantage for them. And for some of them, it looks like it has been because I know Bo Bichette had a great week last week. And then, unfortunately, he got injured with his sprained knee. And, you know, he was, you know, he was killing it last week. I think he was player of the week, if I'm not mistaken. And so I thought for him, he was at right at home being in Buffalo. And, you know, so I think that it depends on the team and the crowd and the fans and just kind of the atmosphere that they have and, and how much they depend on that. So to Randy's question about the fans, I don't know that it's always the fans. And if you listen to a lot of pro athletes talk, Mitch Marner said it. Michael Bradley said it. A number of other players have said the crowd affects your mentality in certain moments. Before the game, during stoppages, maybe. When the game's actually on, you're not paying a whole lot of attention to that, and you shouldn't be. Right. But where home field becomes a thing, home court, it's waking up in your own bed. It's sort of your daily routine. Whereas when you're away from home, some of those routines get upset a little bit. Um, again, if you're a championship caliber team, you should be able if you should be able to get through a lot of those things. Because um, ultimately, what what really matters the most is what happens between the lines. Um, and I think most players have the ability to block out fans not to say that fans aren't important they are they're part of the the spectacle but i think for for actual players it's some of the routines basketball it's the shooting backgrounds what you're looking at behind the backboard when you're shooting it's little stuff like that um your, your drive to the arena all of that stuff it, it, it's those are the things that are little factors that people don't necessarily think all that much about when they talk about home court or home field advantage. My thinking is, is that people are going to have a short memory. 
that in 2024, hopefully when things get back to normal, that uh, the World Series champion, let's say they come from the Central Division, uh, let's say it's, I'm uh, pulling a team out of uh, nowhere, uh, the Tigers. Sorry? The Tribe. The Tribe. (laughs) Let's say that it is the Indians, that uh, they uh, went through a regular season without playing the, the Yankees or the Red Sox. And this is obviously a completely different time, and obviously things may change uh, in the playoffs. But there are, there is a, definitely a, a weighted schedule in a full 162 games. But you got 50 games. You're playing within your own division, uh, either American or National League, and you're avoiding some of the big hitters. People have short attention spans, and they uh, they forget to appreciate what kind of uh, stress that these uh, athletes and a completely different dynamic these uh, players have to go through. I wonder, in the court of public opinion, if uh, 2020, providing that it is the only year that uh, this uh, kind of uh, altered format takes place, that uh, people are not going to give the credit that is so rightfully deserved. For me, you can only play what's in front of you. Um, So... You know, you, you play your your regular season. I mean, the NFL plays an imbalanced schedule every year. No one questions the Super Bowl champion because they didn't have to go through X, Y, and Z. Um, and as far as when things get back to nor- back to normal, I- I'm not sure that everything. I'm not sure that anything is going to get back to normal. Like the world has changed now. Um, the way that we do things. You know, just in life and in sports, or in life in general, but in sports as well, some things aren't going to come back to the way they were. There may not be as much travel in sports now. You may not play. You know, you you may find that, you know, economically, the economic impact of COVID-19 on professional sports might force leagues to shrink the amount of travel. So maybe you maybe you end up playing more within the AL East and the NL East than you do with the AL East and the AL West. You know, I I, I think that things things are going to change. So I don't know how the like it's looking into my crystal ball. I, I don't know how people are going to view the champions from 2020. I, I tend to agree with you. I think memories are short. The 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 team that wins the championship this year will get to celebrate and spray champagne on them on each other and hold virtual Zoom parades. <laughs> Here's a way to look at it. I think that you mentioned travel, but will we ever see 50,000 people in Rogers Center again? Probably not. Well, that depends if oh. the team is uh, is competitive. I mean, I, I think oh. that if... <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we're talking social distancing here. Will you be able to fit 50,000 people in the Dome? I'm, I don't know if that will happen. I have a friend that actually said to me some weeks ago, well, you'll never see that again. And I said, no, just because I don't want to actually have that become our new reality. But Mike's right, the world has changed, there's no question. And I don't know that when it comes to the asterisks, that that'll even be like 20 years from now, if anyone will even think that. I mean, we'll remember COVID-19, but I don't think we'll take away from the team that won the championship. Like, let me ask you guys, who won the 1999 NBA final? San Antonio. San, San Antonio. Right, and that was in the 50-game season. That was a strike right. season. That was sure. Carter's rookie year, if you guys remember. Yeah. And so 
you know, I don't think anyone ever looks back because San Antonio was successful friends for them, and they had five, and I think that was their first. So I don't think anybody ever looks back and says, oh, they got their first one in the 50-game season, and that one didn't really count. So, I, you know, when it comes to an asterisk, yeah, I mean, it might be a short-lived thing where people might say that if that's what we're saying here about, you know, the asterisks. But I, I mean, just, you know, I'm just trying to think back if there are any other seasons that we had that, you know, were altered if uh, we had a champion in any of the other altered seasons. But uh, I, the only one I can remember is the NBA when they had a strike short season in 1999. And the San Antonio Spurs won it. And the cool thing about that was uh, the New York Knicks were the eighth seed and they went on to try a final. And I, I believe, just quickly, if they had Patrick Ewing in those finals, they might have walked away with the championship. And maybe everybody would have said, oh, well, that's the eighth seeded team that won it in the strike short season. They might have done that. But I don't know. It's hard to say. Very valid point, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think that one more quick point I want to make was Mike said the Indians, and I'll just quickly say that, you know, when he said that, you know, they could perhaps win the championship. If you're serious about that, Mike, you're, I can agree with that because, and, you know, I mentioned how Mike I Clevenger am. and, yeah. And, well, we think about that for a moment because we were talking about how Mike Clevenger and Zach Lesak were suspended. And we both know, and everybody else who follows baseball, that those are their two best starters. And they have... Right. In my opinion, they have the hands-down best rotation in all of baseball, which is why they were able to let go of Corey Kluber to the Texas Rangers because they had Shane Bieber coming up and a couple right. other studs in Savali and Zach Plesak. And, you know, so you can't – well, actually, you can't even say that Zach Plesak, Clevenger, probably two and three, and Bieber's their number one. But that's a huge hit to the Cleveland Indians. So uh, when we talk about the nature of COVID-19, and there's so many things. Because uh, earlier in this podcast, Randy asked me um, – you know, what's difficult about covering COVID-19? Well, it's, I mean, it can be difficult, can't be difficult, because we have so many things going on here with it. And, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I guess the difficult thing is just basically, you know, living with this virus and adapting to the change of the whole entire world going on, trying to survive this, you know, pandemic and get through it. So uh, sports is showing us a lot of these, uh, you know, differences and how pretty much anything could happen. So, uh, uh, to that, and uh, we'll uh, put a cap on baseball right now. And wanted to uh, talk about the Canadian Premier League, and it has begun its second season in, of all places, Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island with the Island Games. So basically, this is a three-stage format where all eight teams will play each other once. Then the uh, second stage will be whittled to four. And then finally, you have the uh, two final clubs uh duking it out for the uh, North Stars Shield. So, uh, Mike, as the soccer guy, we did have a chat about the Canadian Premier League uh, when we first uh, talked back in December. How critical was it for the CPL to play in 2020? It's tough to say uh, because I don't know what would have happened if they had not been able to play. Um, They're not a league that... like. I think that there's more money available to them through, you know, Media Pro with their, their television partner, One Soccer, and through through sponsors as opposed to necessarily ticket buying public because they, I mean, they're a league that sort of subsists on a four to five thousand average attendance per game. So certainly losing fans for them is tough, particularly for a startup league, because you want to be 
front and center, and, and soccer is a very, it's probably one of the best in-person live sporting experiences that you can have out there along with, say, you know, the NBA. The, the, the fact that they're losing that, it's different than, say, the CFL or some of the bigger leagues where they have average attendances of 20, 25,000. It's a lot more revenue to make up for some of those leagues and also a lot higher salaries. Could the, could the CPL have survived had they canceled their season? Probably, because there's some deep pockets there, although some of those deep pockets are tied to the CFL. So that could, that could end up hurting the CPL in the long run, that the CFL has made the decision to cancel its season. Um, really, you think so? Because, uh, the, uh, and, and I don't know if uh, American football and European football go hand in hand, but the fact that there are so many, uh, say, Western Canadians, for example, who uh, don't have the local club to, to cheer for, uh, Edmonton, for example, uh, and uh, the Lions and so on uh, in, in BC, that they have to you know, go somewhere uh, to, uh, to watch and maybe they could get uh, involved with this product that is uh, the Canadian Premier League. I, I don't think that... I really don't, if you're a 55-year-old CFL fan, Edmonton Eskimos fan, I don't think you're purchasing a one-soccer subscription or tuning into CBC on Saturdays to watch CPL games. I really don't. I think the fan bases are different. Uh, What I think the problem is for CPL is when you've got Bob Young, who owns the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and the Winnipeg Football Club, who owns Valor, those are two major, two major revenues, not revenue streams, but, but like investors in, in the CPL. If those two owners of CFL teams are taking an absolute bath on the C- CFL this year because they're not, they're not making any money, there's no games, season's over before it even starts, do they take their money and invest it heavily in the CPL, or do they take the money out of the CPL to try and mitigate some of the losses to their to their CFL franchises? The CFL is a stronger brand in the, in this country. I think it could hurt in terms of dollars and cents. I think it could hurt the bottom line of the CPL that the CFL season is canceled because I don't I don't know that the CPL is going to draw any new fans from the CFL fan bases. I, I just uh, think, and obviously I'm uh, talking as a Toronto guy who uh, maybe is not really uh, adept to the uh, mindset of Canadian sports fans outside of the province, but when you do have an opportunity to include uh, Western Canada to uh, an athletic atmosphere, that they do have a sense of uh, local pride, that they do have something uh, to... Uh, to cheer for and uh, it is only uh, after one season albeit from what uh, I understand a, su- uh, a successful one on all counts that uh, uh, there's a new team in in Ottawa uh, to uh, uh, to mention that as the CFL experience and uh, the uh, club from uh, BC and the club from Alberta are not being are not able to play in football, that there is something in soccer. And, 
you think about 1994, how many of those people got attracted, uh, became uh, soccer fans, and were enamored with this sport, uh, soccer, after the World Cup of uh, football? Obviously, it's two completely different spectacles. But in terms of a local sense, and in terms of, I guess, of a global sense too, soccer has really uh, made some incredible uh, successes over the past little while. Sorry to be so um, long. Sorry to be so long-winded, but no, <laughs> as you, <laughs> I mean, it's a valid point. I just don't. I think these. I think a lot of these teams have tapped into their audiences. They've tapped into hardcores. Are there casuals out there to be one? Yeah, for sure. I. I just don't. I don't know that. I don't know that Valor is going to pick up any more fans out of this. Than, or out of the fact that the Blue Bombers aren't playing, than if the Blue Bombers had been playing. I just don't. Not making. A, I'm not really getting to my point here, but I think if you were if you were engaged or interested in soccer in those cities, you probably would have already at least checked it out last year. And if you didn't check it out last year. There are so many other options available to you. If you want to watch football, the NFL is coming back, we think. Um, there will be some college football, not all of it. There are a ton of baseball fans out there. Like I, I just think there are so many other entertainment options. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is I think we've reached the point where hearts and minds in terms of soccer – it's not like it's not been available before. It's always, it's been there, and people have either chosen to jump on it or jump off. It's not like it's some brand new thing. And I know the CPL is new, but there were a lot of fans there to be had last year, whether they were watching games on TV or whether they were just showing up um, for the odd game. I, I just don't know that there are a whole lot of new fans there to be made. Maybe there are. I could be wrong. I think with the, the CPL fan base, there's maybe a bit of room for growth, but not a ton. So uh, to that, there is obviously a new uh, tournament, as mentioned, the Island Games, where there is uh, more of an opportunity, uh, especially now with the CFL uh, canceling its 2020 season, which we will uh, speak about in a few moments. But uh, Mike, your thoughts on the uh, tournament as a whole uh, just the fact of how the tournament is set up where it's set up uh, what are your uh, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, this and uh, are, are you I, I guess uh, you did allude to uh, in the beginning are you glad that this uh, tournament has actually taken place yeah, I think it's great it's great for the players for sure it's great for the teams it's great for the fans um Again, the, the tournament format and the formats for all of these sports. We can talk about baseball. You can talk about what the NBA is. You can talk about all of them. They've all come up with slightly different formats that, you know, ardent purists won't necessarily like. I have no problem with this Island Games format. I think it's, you know, I think it works. And I think it's, it's great that there's, uh, you know, this sort of nugget at the end of the road for the Canadian Premier League teams is that if you win the tournament, 
you go into a one-game final against either Toronto FC, Montreal Impact, or Vancouver Whitecaps. You would not be favored against any one of those teams. But it's a one-game, one-off situation. A ball bounce is a funny way, and you end up winning that game. You're into the CONCACAF Champions League final, or uh, CONCACAF Champions League. So there's a huge um, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow for the Island Games that makes it particularly interesting, um, certainly a lot more so than maybe the, the MLS is backing. There was a Champions League spot on the line. You know, Portland did get a Champions League spot out of that. But there are other avenues into the Champions League for MLS teams. For CPL, this is their kind of one big shot. So, I think this is also great, not only this, you know, for the Island Games, for the CPL, but it's also great for Prince Edward Island. And I mm-hmm. wonder if the fact that Prince Edward Island had some of the lowest numbers of cases in COVID-19 across Canada, that that might be why they chose that site. I'm wondering if that had anything to do with it. And if I could just jump back to quickly, you guys were talking about football in terms of American football. Like, I would say that we'll see with the CFL canceling their season. I think that maybe they might be thinking, you know, like a lot of their season starts, it starts at the end of summer and kind of goes into fall. And as we all know, when we get into fall, that kind of starting, sorry, that starts to begin the flu season, and, and we start to see viruses and things like that get passed around. And so I think that maybe, I wonder if that had anything to do with their decision, just considering that we get into that season, because we're all worried about seeing, uh, you know, COVID-19 return, uh, you know, in high numbers again when we get flu season and when viruses and stuff like that start to get passed around. So I wonder if they may have thought that. And we'll maybe say eight months from now who was right in terms of what the NFL did going on their season and the CFL canceling their season. It'll be interesting to think. Yeah, well, and also uh, it would be uh, more so interesting if uh, the NFL actually did have a hub format because, uh, hey, uh, I only know what uh, is being reported in the news and it doesn't seem like that there are uh, as many uh, Americans going to the grocery stores uh, with masks on as it is in this country and are players going to be more susceptible to uh, catching COVID than they are uh, in this country, say, if you are playing you know, in a very intimate sport like soccer as well. I, you know, it... I know I know we put a cap on baseball, but that's also uh, maybe just to quickly go back to them for a moment. That might be also why they're considering the hub for the playoffs because the weather will cool down. Uh, we'll get into the fall. It'll be, you know, cold and flu season again. And maybe COVID-19 could come back in high numbers. They're probably thinking that along those lines. That's what I would think. I'm not sure. But, you know, we'll see if that happens. That might be a, a better way to go. Back to the uh, Premier League, uh, you know, I, I do wonder, and I, I got to say, I really love the idea that uh, it is being played, the Island Games in Charlottetown. Uh, it, here is a, a staple, a capital city uh, within uh, our country, uh, amongst, uh, of, of course, Prince Edward Island, but it's not being played in front of fans. Uh, do you think, though, Mike, uh, that this could uh perhaps be an opportunity for Prince Edward Island, maybe not even for uh, the Canadian Premier League. I personally think that the Maritimes would be fantastic for the Canadian Football League. I've always thought that Halifax should uh, should have had a team. Uh, obviously, there's so much... Uh, uh, it is a, a, 
a lesser population in PEI than to Nova Scotia. But where do you think this leaves uh, the city of Charlottetown, Mike? It might be good for CPL. Uh, I don't know about, like, Prince Edward Island for CFL, I think, is just too small. I think Halifax would work. Um, but the population the population of PEI is pretty small. Yeah. Um, yeah, for C- CPL, it might work. But I, I don't see much beyond that. I, it, listen, for them to have this kind of event there, I think, is, is great for them. Um, and it's obviously good for the league. Um, beyond that, what what that means beyond this, I I, I don't know. It's, I, I you know to, to try and predict what happens beyond tomorrow is pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and uh, to that, it was uh, it was a bit of a surprise to me to uh, hear that the Canadian Football League has canceled uh, its 2020 season. Uh, the Grey Cup will not be awarded for the first time since 1919. Uh, guys, uh, we have uh, saw on the news, uh, uh, it's reported that Commissioner Randy Ambrosi uh, initially asked for $150 million from the uh, federal government to play a full 2020 season. Uh, to uh, Then it was, uh, uh, apparently there was a, a second ask for $30 million to have some sort of tournament. Uh, the CFL, especially around these parts in uh, the province of Ontario, especially Toronto, has been struggling for a long time. Um, Neil, uh, where do you think the CFL, uh, what happens to the CFL uh, after this calendar year? Do you think it's the beginning of the end? Oh, wow. This could be devastating for the CFL because, let's face it, like I know here in Toronto, the Argos, you know, they got a good draw. But, you know, places like Hamilton, Saskatchewan, Calgary, these guys, these communities live off this football team that they have. And, you know, for them not to have the football, it's going to be extra hard for them. But then I think the most important thing is that the CFL is exercising this as, you know, a safety standpoint, basically just making sure they're going through, you know, with the right decision. So, I mean, I know Hamilton loves their football. I know Saskatchewan, that whole town's painted green. And I know Calgary, San Peter is always successful. And I know that the Edmonton Eskimos were considering a name change, so I don't know if, you know, they've, did they ever get around to that, or are they changing? Well, we'll be uh, talking about that also. It uh, it does uh, seem that they will be changing their name uh, along with the uh, uh, with the Washington Redskins also. Uh, but yeah, uh, Mike, this could be a completely different dynamic for uh, the CFL when they do resume. Uh, let alone the fact that Edmonton uh, uh, will, by all intents and purposes, have a new name. Uh, we we're too young to realize what the CFL was like in Toronto before the Toronto Blue Jays came in uh, to existence. But it was reported by many a lot older than us that the major league baseball will put a nail in the coffin for the CFL. Couldn't COVID-19 uh, for the Toronto Argos, excuse me, could COVID-19 put a, uh, uh, mean it's demise for the Canadian football league. No, you don't think so? Uh, because no, I don't. Because here's the thing: as much as the shine has come off the CFL nationally, and particularly in Southern Ontario, in the last probably two decades, two to three decades, there is still some very real Canadiana. The, the, the CFL, the Great Cup, is still very, very much entrenched in Canadian culture. 
don't think it will, I don't think it will disappear. I think if it ever gets to that point where the CFL is teetering on the brink of destruction, someone somewhere, whether it's corporate or government, will step in as, as a savior for the league. I don't think that it's it, it, it may there there may be teams that disappear. There may be major changes to the league, but it's not going to it's not going to completely disappear. No, not not a chance. I grew up out west. It's like like uh, Neil said, it's it's very much entrenched in the culture of of those communities out there. And yeah, it's, I expect that it'll still still be around. Yeah, I agree. CFL roots run deep in this country, you know, and it's like you get a perspective from each city, as you mentioned, and there's definitely enough there for them to survive. But we have to see what kind of impact COVID-19 will make, you know, for them. But I think they're taking the safe route here. They're definitely just, you know, taking this on with caution to make sure they're going to go through it. It's okay. And like I say, eight months from now, or whenever it is, when we get past the Super Bowl and <laughs> we see both these seasons complete, we'll know, uh, well, Obviously, there won't be a CFL season, but once we see the difference between an NFL season, if it makes its way through to the Super Bowl and they get a Super Bowl champion, and then the CFL being canceled, I mean, because there will be difficulties. But I think, like I said earlier in the podcast, that the NFL could learn from the NBA, NHL, and from Major League Baseball right now. So, uh, very quickly, guys, uh, uh, from a Canadian perspective uh, to an international perspective, of course, 2020 was supposed to be a pretty exciting year internationally. Uh, the European Soccer Championships were to take place uh, all throughout Europe. Uh, the Tokyo Olympics were supposed to take place as well, both of which have canceled, have postponed it till uh, 2021. I don't know if you guys have uh, thought about this, but should either or could either event be held with a limited number of physically distanced fans or no fans at all? Uh, Neil, what do you think? Well, it's kind of hard to imagine the Olympics being played without any fans. I know some events do, like some of the skiing ones and bobsledding. I mean, their fans are out on the outer parts. But, you know, it's not really... I don't know. It, we'd have to see how that goes. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that's why they chose to set it back to 2021. So, you know, by that point, they might be able to get past that kind of a an obstacle. But we'll have to see. I mean, that would be really awkward, but... If it's the safest way to go, then so be it. But I think that, you know, pushing it back to 2021 gives them an opportunity to be able to kind of wait it out and see what happens and go with the best option. Euro, yes. Absolutely. Olympics, I'm not sure. I I don't know how a 100-meter final, you know, men's 100-meter final would would look with no fans. I, I I suppose it's possible. Anything's possible, but the Euro, I think, absolutely can. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Can you imagine uh, what it was, li- what it would have been like in 1996 when we, as Canadians, uh, uh, toasted Donovan Bailey uh, for uh, his uh, gold medal in the hundred meters? Uh, forget about that. Like, what about Sidney Crosby's uh, golden goal in Vancouver, and uh, to play that in an empty arena, and you know, especially with the golden goal. Uh, how uh, Canadians celebrated the way that they did. And, you know, to that, you have all these uh, champions that will be declared in 2020, NBA, well, NHL, uh, Major League Baseball, and so on. And if you're a team in a city like Cleveland who hasn't celebrated a World Series since 1948 
and you win the World Series now. You know, there was as a as a Leaf fan, there was, and I'll be serious, there was a very very small part of me that hoped that uh, the Leafs weren't going to win the Cup in uh, in twenty twenty because oh, I don't know what you guys specifically did last year uh, for the Raptors. Uh, Neil, you must have been uh, hooting and hollering and going crazy, especially since you're so uh, close to downtown and the the scene of the crime there. But uh, you know, with my uh, friends and family living in uh, west of uh, uh, Toronto, uh, we uh, managed to uh, hop in the car and go to the uh, local pub for a drink. And I know maybe we're able to do that, but in terms of two million people gathering uh, in the uh, for the parade, uh, like my wife and I did for the Raptors. I don't know uh, what the scene is going to be like, uh, you know, come 2020, especially if the uh, Raptors were to repeat. Uh, did you did you see what happened outside of Anfield when Liverpool won the Premier League for the first time in in uh, was their first Premier League? It was their first top division title in in England in 30 years. They were out there shooting off fireworks. There won't be the parade. That's not going to happen. But uh, as someone who listens to more Cleveland radio than probably any Cleveland sports radio than one should probably admit to listen. <laughs> they're desperate. They're desperate to win a, a World Series this year. They're they're hoping they win a World Series this year. And the the reason that they're so desperate to get it done this year, two words. Francisco Lindor. They're they're expecting that this is probably his last season. If not his last season because of trade, they have him basically through this year and then next year. But the expectation is he's not going to be with the Indians next year. Um, so they feel like their window to win a World Series is now. They have a great shot. They're in a tough division, but I like their chances. And uh, like I said, they have the best rotation, hands down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but let's be honest. We're just talking about the Cleveland Indians here for a moment. You know, we wonder if they would win it and if we would question, okay, yeah, this is 2020 short season and whatnot. But the Cleveland Indians have had success. They've been in it. They, I think, have the best manager in the game, Terry Francona, and I know he's been dealing with health issues. And so, and because of COVID-19, he's been away from the team as much because of that. So, you know, a lot of things to play in here. So, yeah. Carlos Carrasco as well. Carlos Carrasco yeah. had leukemia, and so he's at a higher right. risk too. That's right. There's see so many things, so many side stories of COVID-19. It's affecting almost everything in so many ways. And we could talk about it for days. And, you know, that's just alluding back to what Randy had asked me earlier. Yeah. So, uh, guys, I do have to ask, and I will be asking and uh, not editing this. How are you guys for time? Because, you know, we've been uh, going at it for a good little while. And you guys still okay? Or uh... Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah. I, I gotta get up in a few hours, so I'm I'm getting late. Okay, you're uh, you, okay. We'll uh, we'll definitely try and be quick. And uh, Mike, uh, thanks so so much for tuning in. You know, it's hard to believe that uh, you know we we've essentially scratched the surface. It's so amazing with such little sports that has played since the middle of March that uh, so many key issues have uh, come up. And you know, uh, to talk about the uh, polarization, I guess of sports and politics and should they go hand in hand uh, it, a lot of people say leave politics out of it i just want to watch sports uh it was uh 2016 when uh, colin kaepernick 
really uh, captivated the world with his protest by kneeling during the national anthem. Now, of course, we're seeing a lot of uh, leagues throughout the world uh, taking uh, that same position, especially with uh, regards to police brutality in the United States, of course, uh, coming to light, uh, especially uh, with the uh, with the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. Um, Mike, I, I gotta ask, like, how how surprised were you to see this uh, movement evolve the way that it did? Uh, not surprised at all, considering what happened, and considering what's been happening. And I think you talk about COVID nineteen has had a lot of really negative impacts for a lot of people. But what it forced people to do, people were not as busy in their lives as maybe they had been before. So when George Floyd, when, when what happened to George Floyd happened and that video circulated on you know, throughout the, the, the web, I think it caught a lot of people. Uh, it caught them in a place where they were emotionally vulnerable and without a lot of other things going on in life, people were forced to take stock of what has been going on in our society. And enough was enough. Like, Kaepernick, people tried to sweep it under the rug. Certain people in high positions of power tried to sweep it under the rug. But these incidents keep happening, and they seem to happen on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I think we really have reached a breaking point in our society. And anyone that wants to say sports doesn't belong in politics, and don't play the national anthem before any games. Because the national anthem, by its very nature, is a political statement. Well, uh, you know, uh, you. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Kaepernick was. I thought what Kaepernick did in two, in twenty sixteen was amazing. It didn't. It, it cost him his career as a football player, and there can be debate about what the actual costs have been for him. I got. I'm looking at my TV right now, and I'm looking at this NBA game, the Sixers and the Boston Celtics. It's Black Lives Matter on the court, and the way that all of the players going into this Orlando bubble, the way they took a knee before the national anthem or during the national anthem. There's no more. I've never seen anything more respectful or powerful than a group of individuals taking that stand, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, because there's a very, very clear message that's being sent. And I, I don't know whether I've properly made my point, but politics does belong in sports because the people, the players, they're people. The coaches, they're people. We all have, we should all be politically active. Well, and, and too, long, too long we haven't been. Well, and uh, to that, uh, I'm getting a, a, the sense that people who say uh, athletes should just stick to sports are uh, f- coming from those who don't agree with 
the position of Colin Kaepernick, of LeBron James. That, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And, but, you know, into uh, that and uh, the whole political uh, atmosphere around the national anthem, you know, I'm someone who loves the national anthem at sporting events. I think we were all really... Uh, captivated when the tenors uh, sang Oh Canada during game one of the uh, NBA finals. And having said that, I do uh, really appreciate and admire Colin Kaepernick uh, for doing what he did. It's just an opportunity to hear a point of view from somebody else that we may not agree with. And that I think that uh, the what is lost in uh, this entire debate is that people have forgotten how to disagree with other people. And, you know, Neil, uh, I'd love to bring you into this and uh, uh, to get your thoughts on the whole uh, on the whole topic here. Uh, where do you think athletes uh uh, should fit in terms of politics, in terms of social st- uh, stances. I know that you uh, saw the uh, the hat that LeBron James recently wore, where he uh, he uh, took uh, Donald Trump's "Make America Great Again" and spun it to uh, recognizing the death of uh, Breonna Taylor. Absolutely. Well, I think when it comes to Donald Trump, a lot of athletes have expressed their opinions of how they feel about him and whatever it is that he's usually doing at the time. And when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, I think that it's amazing that he was doing it for so long and at a time where I wouldn't say he was being ignored, but there was attention being given to it. But, you know, it was kind of cool to see that he had been doing it for such a long time. And then we saw what happened this year with the BLM movement and kind of how that came back. And now everybody's kind of been doing that to kind of show support along the same line. So I think that's great uh, for him personally would love to see him get on an NFL team, but I think that it's, yeah, I think absolutely, like Mike said earlier, everybody should have a political, you know, opinion of some sort, or they usually do at least, and so I think it's acceptable for players to definitely show their political views, and if they support something, and I think a lot of them have taken the right avenue with it, they've, you know, shown it on their jersey, or they've made a statement like with the hat, like you mentioned, or the, the knee, so... I think they find their way about going about it and doing it in the most proper way to get their point across. So if they do it that way, then obviously there shouldn't be much of a problem. But, you know, usually, you know, political views can be critical to some others or whatnot. So, you know, you don't please everybody, but you do what you got to do to be able to get your point across. And, and as long as we're seeing that, I think that's okay. And, uh, and uh, finally, guys, uh, one other topic, and it is relative to the whole uh, social climate that has uh, taken place, especially uh, recently. Uh, it is uh, another big issue in terms of the world of sports, and that's the use of sports names. Uh, we did uh, touch on it briefly with uh, by mentioning the Edmonton Eskimos, and uh, I brought up the Washington Redskins. But it has been announced that those two teams will be changing their names. Uh, Washington, as of right now, is referring to itself as the Washington football team. And uh, to that, the Atlanta Braves have decided uh, that they're not going to change uh, their name and uh, everything that goes with it. Mike, to you, between Washington, Edmonton, Atlanta, uh, was there one team who had uh, the right idea? And was there uh, somebody who did take the right course of action? Well, I mean, I think it's tough to say because, I mean, Washington really had to change, and they were resistant to it 
until dollars and cents got involved and their corporate partners started threatening to back away from them. Um, I think Edmonton's been under pressure for years um, as well, but I, I don't know that that was necessarily as much of a money-driven thing as much as it it's cultural. Like, I mean, you mentioned Blackhawks. Like, that's actually the name of a tribe. And that tribe is has no problem with the hockey team using that, that name because it's they're not using it in a, in a derogatory sense. Um, the same thing with the Florida State Seminoles. The, floor, uh, the NCAA wanted Florida State to change the name, and the Seminole tribe said, no, we don't want them to because we actually think that what they're doing, you know, pays a lot of respect to us. Whereas you look at a team like Redskins is definitely a derogatory name. And you get Chief Wahoo with, with the with the Cleveland Indians. Right. Totally totally, totally derogatory symbol. Totally derogatory logo. They're also evaluating changing their name. And I hear they're going back to the spiders? That's, that's on the table. I haven't heard that. That is on the table. Yeah, that's on the table, for sure. Right. I've heard. also heard such terrible things as Cleveland Rocks. Oh, oh man. Cleveland <laughs> Rockers. Yes, those are both terrible. That oh. means Wayne's World would have to be part of the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the team symbol. Wayne and Garth. <laughs> but... Yeah, and uh, you know I haven't heard of any sort of uh, new nickname for uh, well nobody has in terms of Washington and uh, Edmonton. I never uh, I didn't come to realize that uh, the Spiders was uh, uh, comes into play for and it has been considered for Cleveland. But Mike, as you talked about dollars and cents here, I'm thinking if you're a team like the Redskins, and I do apologize obviously for using that uh, word. Well, but if you are, call it what it was. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, that's uh, that's. Uh, I mean, I I didn't come up with the name, and hey, listen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, with uh, with respect, uh, yeah, it's obviously uh, it's obviously uh, important and imperative that they do change their name because it is a derogatory term. Uh, but if I was a team like Washington, who hasn't had a lot of uh, success, who does have a lot of. Uh, 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 criticism and scrutiny in terms of this name that you do change it. Sure, you're going to get some feedback, but Neil, w- what do you think about the whole uh, possibility of Washington becoming uh, a, a revenue generator and perhaps uh, leading the NFL in uh, revenue sales because they do have uh, that they, they did change their name? I'm assuming, especially if you are a diehard Washington fan, that you are going to support the team through thick and thin. Maybe you'll be a little pissed in the beginning, but you're going to eventually come around and start buying a, a lot of gear, and therefore, Washington is going to make dollars hand over fist. Well, you know what? This is not the first time this happened to a Washington franchise, not because of the name mm-hmm. being you know, racial or offensive, but it happened to the Washington Bullets, who are now the Washington Wizards. So I, I'm not sure how it went with them if they were able to sell more merchandise once they came out with the Wizards uniforms, but that's definitely an opportunity to do so, and you know, I think that the 
they could do that if they so chose to. I mean, I don't know how quick they are to move to changing their name, though. I mean, they've been kind of sitting with the Washington football team for a little while now. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Randy, but I'm not really certain that, I mean, depending on how they go about it. Like I say, they kind of are, like, has there been any movement on this name change at any recent, you know, time? Because I haven't heard anything about it in a while. So they've been kind of sitting without that for some time. And, you know, you look around to some of the other teams you mentioned, like the Edmonton Eskimos and, uh, you know, we were talking about Cleveland. And, uh, you know, they seem to be kind of considering it a lot more than Washington is right now. Washington seems kind of, to me, in my opinion, settled on the Washington football team. So you can't really sell a lot of merchandise with that, I don't think. You'd have to come up with something else. And, uh, you know, so... Yeah, I mean, basically, Ad... Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. Dan Snyder owns that team. They will find a way to screw up a one-car parade. Um... (laughs) Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, apparently, apparently, uh, Dan Snyder, to uh, to Mike's point, is uh, a real piece of work, and uh, that he is uh, quite difficult. But I, I think it comes down to the bottom line. And if you are a team like Washington, let's say you change your name, let's say you start getting a uh, Super Bowl contender, people are going to forget about the name. People are going to start buying uh, uh, gear. And we've seen it. Uh, how, uh, the NFL, especially with fans in the stands, it, is there a league that's more devoted to uh, apparel sales, at, like in terms of their fans, other than the NFL? I mean, hey, the uh, Toronto FC, and uh, uh, you see the uh, fans at BMO. I mean, I'm uh, guilty of it as well. Like, I am really keen on buying uh, the most updated jersey, which is every year because. Uh, MLS is on a rotation, and uh, all of soccer, where they change their uh, they uh, their jersey every uh, every couple of years. So, if if I was Dan Snyder, you know, forget about pride. If you want to make money, yeah, go ahead, make as many as much as you can. But you are going to make money if you change your logo. I went to. I was going to say I went to the Redskins and Bills game last November. And there were some Redskins fans there. So in terms of just, like, the fans supporting that team, they're definitely there. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of teams can go out and change their team name or come out with new uniforms or merchandise, and they can make money that way. So that's definitely an opportunity. I don't see that they would, you know, want to miss on that if that is what they're looking at here. So, I mean, Washington has something to work with, and there's definitely, you know, the fans that they support their team. And so, you know, they should definitely consider that. But I think it can happen, and I think it's possible. When you're talking about jersey sales and apparel and all that, you don't have to change your name to do that. Um, no. You, you, you know, I think there are six or seven NFL teams this year that change their jerseys, some of them drastically. Um, I'm a but Browns fan. I, I love what – sorry, go ahead. I'll just quickly say to you, Mike, I'll ask you quickly as you say that. I mean, you're absolutely right. You don't have to change your team name to get better sales as your merchandise and, and New Jersey's and what have you. But uh, if they were to go into the season as just the Washington football team, that's probably not a lot to work with on that front, wouldn't you think? No, I mean, it, and, like, I don't know what they're doing in terms of logo. Like, some people are talking about them just going to a blank helmet. With right. the, the, the current team colors, they could put a W on it. I don't know. Like, there's not – in terms of logo – there's not a lot there. Um, I right. don't think they can, because the NFL's got jersey rules. Like, 
you can only change, like the Browns changed their jerseys, I want to say back in 2014 or 15, and they were atrocious. <laughs> um, I remember those. Like, as, as atrocious as the team was on the field. And, like, they wanted to change their jerseys basically from the moment they released them. But they right. couldn't because the NFL's got certain rules about that. I don't know whether those rules could be overlooked by changing the team name. I think there was pressure from the NFL to change the team name as well. Like, I don't think it just, like, it, it does boil down to dollars and cents for sure. Like, everything, everything with the NFL boils down to dollars and cents. It's that simple. Um, right. You know, for the league, for the owner, I think the league saw an opportunity to um, make friends with social justice uh, campaigns by nudging the the Dan Snyder towards that that name change, as you say as well. There there are you know there are apparel sales issues. Although I've heard a lot, of, I've heard a few people from the Washington area who said I wouldn't give up my my Redskins gear because I have a lot of memories associated with some of those teams. Like we talk about that now as a complete dumpster fire because they are they haven't always been that way sure back in no. the back in the 80s and the 90s they had some super bowl winning teams they had some really good teams some really good players and i think a lot of people have a lot of fans of that team particularly of a certain vintage have a lot of fond memories associated with some of that stuff so i don't think everyone is is completely thrilled about the idea of completely abandoning the name and the logo. I just, I think it's, you know, from a, a neutral perspective, it, it was time that that happened. Yeah, and uh, but I'm just wondering if it is uh, the fact that we as adults uh, are just not really up for change in the sense that, yeah, maybe we are adaptable for certain things, and, but when it doesn't really uh, impact and is of uh, significance to us as the individual that uh, certain people are just uh, oblivious and just not really willing to listen to the whole argument of that name being offensive. And, you know, to the point of uh, the history that it is involved with the uh, Washington Redskins, I think it was 92 when uh, they won the world, uh, the Super Bowl with Mark Rippon, but uh, those ten-year-old uh, kids are now for uh, in their forties. And Rippon was a Canadian quarterback. That's right. That's right. And, that, and that's yeah. one of the main reasons why I remembered it because, uh, <laughs> because uh, yeah, no, I do, and uh, I can't think of. Well, I think maybe Art Art Monk was on the team. I I'm not that strong when it comes to uh, football history, but. Uh, the Washington Redskins, yeah, sure, they did have some history, uh, uh, Doug Williams, uh, but, you know, that was 30 years ago. And with uh, the uh, the attachment to, as Neil said, the Bullets versus the Wizards, you know, maybe it is, uh, maybe it is uh, time, and maybe this is the perfect time with everything else going on, because football fans just want to have a season. So, I mean, if... Uh, this is a time to uh, 
to change the uh, the team name to avoid the uh, distractions and the critical feedback that this would be the perfect time to do it. Right. You want so you want to talk about living in the past. I'm a Browns fan. I'm lo- I'm looking in my closet right now. I still got my Jim Brown jersey. Sure. Next to my Miles, next next to my Miles Garrett jersey. So yeah, like I mean, we haven't had a whole lot since '64. We had Bernie Kosar and a couple of like close calls, but you need those jerseys hanging out behind you when you do Zoom convos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And- and it is hard. To, it is hard to uh, to erase a history, and you know I'm not necessarily suggesting to uh, to do that, but you know may, maybe it is time. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Listen, guys, uh, it's been a good 15 years since I worked and crossed your paths. Uh, you know, it, it really is humbling uh, for a guy like me after all these years that we could get together and that you guys were so open and willing uh, uh, to do this. Uh, this was an absolute blast for me, and uh, I really hope that uh, uh, you had a great time. I, I'd really love to do this again soon. Uh, uh, Mike Leach, Neil Kumar, thank you so much uh, for, for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. pleasure is all mine. Absolutely, and I feel the same way as you, Randy. It was great talking to you guys after this long, and I'd totally love to do it again. And, uh, you know, we share a lot of great memories back at Rogers, so it's a good uh, good three of us talking, and uh, we had a great conversation, and I'd love to do it again for sure. Perfect. That was uh, Broadcasting Professionals Mike Leach and Neil Kumar. We'll be back right after this. just about to wrap things up for this episode and once again anything on your mind let me know on twitter or facebook at what's up podcast what's up podcast is with one p so before i kick out of here i have a quick feeling to share and i've come to appreciate something it's really easy to focus on the negativity in our lives i suppose the year 2020 is an easy time to do that but i can't help but be reminded of the good graces of people. You know, throughout my life, professionally, personally, and regarding this podcast as well, I'm so blown away by the people who've extended their hand to me. This podcast is a way for me to express my creativity, and it's not a source of income. But the support that I've been given leaves me so appreciative and humbled. Between certain guests, as I mentioned a few moments ago, were a part of my working life over 15 years ago, some of them even longer, to Tony Antonio, to Dan Legere, to Tammy Sutherland, who just gave birth to her beautiful daughter Isla, with Mike and Neil today, my friend Jason Kennedy, who helped me get this platform off the ground. I thank you all, and I really hope I can return your kindness should you ever need it. A strong person always sees the bright side, and I hope you as well can appreciate the many blessings you have. Thank you so much for the ear and for the download, and we'll definitely do it again soon. Uh, so, you know, Speaking of the good graces of people, we're going to uh, head out with the tunes of the Abatsi Project in the background. 
I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Yeah.